you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Hello and welcome back to Prairie Justice. Today is episode three and we're going to talk about Action Comics 44 and a third installment of the Vigilante's adventures in that 1940s comic. Uh, I never intended that we would ever get a lot of mail for this show, so I never intended on a mailbag column, but I seem to have picked up a regular correspondent, and I'm certainly not complaining because I respect this man greatly. This, of course, is Dave McElvaney of Pennsylvania, and I'm going to read his letter, and then I'll... Uh, last time I read Dave's letter, and I kind of interjected in between, and I, when I listened back to that, it was a little bit confusing. So I'm just going to read verbatim, and then I'll offer my rebuttal, and hopefully not a Homer Simpson rebuttal. So Dave writes, Greetings, Ranger Gord. I don't know if he talks like that. A fun episode with a cliffhanger ending. Perfectly on model for a Western cowboy story, I guess, if we think of it as similar to the old movie serials. I like the character of Billy Gunn, who seems like the kind of fellow who'd make a good sidekick for Vigilante. I just know Greg won't think any less of Billy when he discovers, as surely as will, that he's never been out west. I wonder if they'll trade the secrets of their real identities. I was intrigued that the Shade's minions were stealing aluminum and other materials that were as important to the war effort. The reason I was intrigued was that at one time, long before World War II, aluminum was quite valuable, to the point that it was comparable in value to gold or silver because it was so difficult to process bauxite ore into aluminum. In fact, the capstone of the Washington Monument was cast as a 100-ounce pyramid of pure aluminum. In a short period of time, and now it's commonly used to make cans for beverages and wrap for leftover food. Of course, its strength and lightweight made it quite valuable in wartime production, particularly in aircraft construction. I was also intrigued by the Shade's attempt to steal Billy Gunn's pitchblend mine. I only know pitchblend as a source of uranium, so I wonder how widely known at the time was the potential for uranium in the development of nuclear weapons. It certainly seems that the Shade is trying to interfere with defense preparations for the oncoming war. But it could just be that, because of the oncoming war, these are known to be valuable things to steal. I was wondering if the Shade in this story had any connection to the villainous foe of the Golden Age Flash. And it was interesting to hear that you talk about that, so thank you for adding to my knowledge there. Thank you too for the music you include, which I'm really enjoying, and for your voice acting for the various characters, which helps to bring the story to life. Keep up the good work, I'm having a good time. Finally, am I right in supposing that prairie oysters are the same as what are known as Rocky Mountain oysters? Live long and prosper, Dave McElvaney. Thanks, Dave, for a great letter. I really appreciate that. On the cliffhanger ending, well, they tended not to have a lot of cliffhangers. This just happened to be one. Uh, I guess uh, Weisinger just decided to do his two shade stories together. And you'll probably see why when we hear the today's installment. They tended not to do a lot of two or three part stories just because distribution was weird. And they wanted to do one-and-done stories and, and not so much have anything continued. Uh, just because you never really knew whether you are going to be able to pick up the next comic. And that's been a problem in comics, even right up until today. And so long story arcs, you know, didn't start to become a thing until Marvel started to do it, I would guess, in the uh, in the 1970s. And, and, of course, they had a lot of continuity going on in the 1960s before that. And then, of course, DC jumped on that bandwagon. The one only continued story I can think of in the Golden Age was uh, more fun comics. And forgive me, I don't have the number off the top of my head right now, but it was the origin of the Spectre, first appearance of the Spectre, which actually occurred over two issues. And that is, is um, really strange for the Golden Age because the Spectre never really gets his costume on 
until about oh very very probably very close to the ending of that story in fact i think maybe on the last page when he finally fashions it so that was very unusual especially considering that uh, the cliffhanger was that Jim Corrigan went over into the into the deep in a barrel full of cement. So that's uh, the one two-parter that I can think of in the Golden Age. Uh, as far as Billy Gunn, well, Billy will be around for a while. Um, he's not going to be the permanent sidekick for Vigilante, and that story is coming up where things start to change. But Billy never really goes away. Yeah, he's up there right up until the 1950s stories. He'll he'll pop up occasionally every now and again, but not so much as a regular story. It's it's fun to see him when he does come back, mostly because uh, he seems to be rendered a lot better in the art in later stories. Uh, aluminum, yes, aluminum cans, of course, it's a big thing right now. But uh, in at this point in time. As we're doing the the gear up towards World War II, at least as far as the United States was concerned, uh, aluminum was very valuable um, for the aircraft industry. It's a much lighter steel or much lighter element or metal than than steel or iron. So a lot easier to get things off the ground, and it's a lot more flexible. What Dave might not be aware of, and I'm aware of just because of uh, my training uh irrigation piping uh, i live in an area where crops and farms are irrigated quite regularly with uh with piping and aluminum is a very very popular it's not so much so that it's cheaper but it is much more lightweight and much more portable so i spent a lot of years banging aluminum pipes together uh, in for irrigation in farm fields I didn't know that about the Washington Monument. Very interesting. Yeah, pitch blend is a sort of a deceptive term. And uh, the word pitch comes from black and blend meaning to deceive. And uh, this is a, a type of ore that does deceive. It hides uranium. Uh, uranium, of course, is going to be very, very popular in the, with the coming war because of that's going to be... Uh, the base element for the atomic bomb uh, and will need to be upgraded to the uh, artificial element of plutonium as we start to get towards 1945. So very interesting that Mort Weisinger was certainly up on his elements and up on his reading and uh, knew that it was probably going to be a war material that uh, a fiend such as the Shade might be interested in i don't think he's in it for it so much for you know the capabilities that it could give to the enemy as he is just for the pure money of it he seems to be a despite his you know spectrally appearance uh he's he's basically a a financially bound criminal 1940s a lot of the uranium came from the congo but also from the uh, Athabasca Basin of no Northern Saskatchewan and Alberta and the Northwest Territories around the Great Bear Lake. So that's where a lot of the uh, uh, uranium that was used in the nuclear bomb came from before it was upgrading in its raw state. It was also found in many of the Western states. So that's probably where Billy Gunn's mine could be in Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, or Wyoming, or even Utah. And you're welcome on the shade. Um, yes, this is a criminal with the same name, but I believe he comes and goes. I don't know if we're going to see him again in Vigilante. Uh, I have these notes down, but I don't really remember. I, I believe this is his last appearance is what we're going to hear today. But, of course, no relationship to the, Fla the Golden Age Flash villain or the character that... Uh, be devil's jack knight in the 1990 starman series and uh, you're welcome for the music uh, i have a very very eclectic ideal i know that probably a lot of my listening audience here is not so going to be so much into cowboy and country music but i hope to give you a few surprises from time to time and even in the terms of americana country music 
I hope to maybe give you, uh, with uh, Greg Saunders' Rodeo Radio, something new that you may not have heard of, and I might be delve into my collection of Canadian uh, Americana, <laughs> such as it is. And thank you for the kind words on the voice acting. Sometimes I don't know if this is getting co-hokey. I just kind of hear this in my own mind. I see the characters, and I, I hear a voice coming out. And sometimes I don't know if it... Uh, if it works or not it's i definitely don't have a lot of training when it comes to try to imitate a female voice but i do the best i can i tried one of those voice changer things uh one of those apps you can get on your phone to do it and i found out it i could do just about better with my vocal cords than what the app was doing uh and finally the oysters yes they are rocky mountain oysters and that's all i have to say about that again if you know what Rocky Mountain oysters are, that's a prairie oyster. So not a lot of news or preamble. The one thing I do want to offer is my deep appreciation to the people who have played the promo for Prairie Justice. I'm hoping to give back or pay back, pay, pay it forward on that favor. So today we're going to hear uh, from Sean and Jen at uh, Worst Collection Ever. And if you've ever listened to that, um, it, it's funny as heck. They do review at least one comic per episode, but I find it funnier just listening to Jen and, and Sean and their preamble. Uh, it's definitely not safe for work, but uh, they're a married couple. I assume they're married, but they're they're a couple, and they're very comfortable with each other, and they're very comfortable in their language. So I do have a lot of fun listening to them, and uh, I, I was just surprised when I heard my pro my promo come on to their show because i've never had a lot of contact with either sean or jen so thank you again worst collection ever and with that uh let's play a promo gee i wonder what it's gonna be <laughs> Hey, I'm Jen. And I'm Sean. We're here to tell you about our podcast, Worst Collection Ever. And this is the show where we tell you about the worst comic book collection in existence. And it just happens to belong to us. We have some of the worst comics from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. They're bad. They don't, Terrible. They're not worth anything. No good. Why do we Very own them? Bad. I own number of issues of Terror Inc. and Guy Gardner. Basically, we go around to local comic book stores and we buy everything we can out of dollar boxes. We tell you about the weird stuff in them. We tell you about stuff that's related to them. We go into tangents. And we're very uninformed, so... Oh my god, totally. But totally check out our podcast because you'll hear us just talk and joke about Marvel books and DC books from God Only Knows When. That's right. It's our show, Worst Collection Ever, every Tuesday on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Download, rate, subscribe, tell a friend. It'll be good and terrible, but good. So today we're going to look at Action Comics number 44. Publication date, November 19th, 1941. Cover dated, January 1942. The story we're going to read is Gallopin' Gold. Our writer is still Mort Weisinger. And our artist is still Mort Meskin, who is going under the pseudonym of Mort Morton Jr. And I'm not sure if that's supposed to be his own pseudonym or whether that might be a combination of the two Morts, because that's the only credit on the splash page. Again, our anchor and colorists are who knows, and overseeing this is the legendary Frederick Whitney Ellsworth, and 64 pages for 10 cents. For a change, I thought it might be interesting to see also what else is going inside uh, this comic book, this magazine. We have uh, Action Comics, uh, world's largest selling comic magazine it's boasting. I don't know any way of verifying that. If anybody can verify that or comment thereof or oppose it, please let me know. The cover is, well, we're in wartime here. Even though the United States is not, Superman is here, at least on this cover. And he is taking in one of those nice big Bertha guns and bending the barrel of it and making a nice U out of it. Probably an 88 millimeter. 
And there are definitely Nazi swastikas on here, so the artists are definitely editorializing. And that's not surprising. According to Mike's Amazing World, the cover artist is Fred Ray. And I don't know a lot about Fred, so that might be bear some investigating. Inside cover, we have a bit of early Superman merchandising, and I know this was being advertised at least uh, a year to two years earlier because this advertisement or this product appeared in uh, an advertisement in All-Star Comics 3 in late 1940. So, you know, you can get your Superman Crypto Ray Gun, which throws... It's, it's kind of sort of like an idea of... Uh, a slide projector, which just throws images up on a wall. And moving right along, we get to the Superman story by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And I'm assuming that's correct. Uh, at least it was the Siegel Schuster Studio. Uh, no title on this uh, story. But we do have, I think this is Perry White. That actually might be George Taylor. I'm not certain whether they're on the uh, the star of the planet here, but Lois and Clark are off on an adventure to encountering a man from the prehistoric past. On page 17, this is your opportunity to join the fan club, the Supermen of America, which also includes a small ad for buying United States savings bonds. So we're already prepping up uh, for the war. Uh, we got a Baby Ruth ad, uh, Vigilante, which we're going to cover ad nauseum here soon. We've got ads for, oh, the Big Seven is now the Big Eight. And with a brand new comic magazine called Sensation Comics, introducing Wonder Woman. So that's some news here. And we've got the Three Aces, which is a sort of a military type of characters, although that uh, being pre-war, uh, they're more or less adventurers. Or they're civilian aviators in this. I would imagine they will turn into uh, military aviators in a couple of months. So we've got an ad on good books for Christmas. Good kind of uh, juvenile books. Uh, Captain Kid's Cow, The Yankee Captain in Patagonia. Blueberry Mountain, Defending America. And with Dally, Daniel Boone on the Carolina Trail. Not Carolina, Carolina. And these are recommended by the Editorial Advisory Board of the Superman DC Comics which includes, just for interest, don't know a lot of these names, except for the one that stands out, Dr. William M. Marston, and also a Lieutenant C Commander Gene Tunney, U.S. Naval Reserve. I should know that name. And some PhDs and some doctors. And apparently this is a, this is a board that uh, selects these, these titles. I guess that keeps everybody in Dutch with the idea that uh, comics aren't literature. Well, look here, they're promoting literatures. And we have the, the incredible Mr. America and Fat Man by Bernard Bailey. And this is a character that started life in Action Comics number one as Tex Thompson. He becomes Mr. America, the America Commando. And he's part of the All-Star Squadron. He's not exactly a household name insofar as superheroes and such. But uh, we do find him in continuity when we start to get into the 1990s. He figures a lot into the, uh, the book The Golden Age uh, by James Robinson. Uh, Moving along from Mr. Thompson, we have ads for curios. Ads for chemical sets. Oh boy. Get yourself a chemical set, kids. Another text piece. Uh, text pieces had to be done in uh, comic books to help them out to get a lower mailing rate. And Congo Bill, a character that we still relevant uh, today. He's uh, Congo Bill has become the Congorilla because in the 1950s everything had to be apes with DC. So it's sort of a great white hunter kind of. Uh, character, probably very, very imperialist and very politically un-PC today. And uh, he's messing around with some Germans, so definitely he's uh, one of your early uh, or premature anti-fascists. 
which happens a lot in comics. We have advertisements for the Superman Quarterly, World's Finest, and Zatera, another character from Action Comics number one, who is the, if you don't know, is the father of Zatanna. And like Zatanna, he also speaks spells backwards. That's his power. He's sort of in the vein of Mandrake the Magician. He dresses up in a very, very fancy morning suit, complete with top hat. And uh, he seems to out strange Doctor Strange. And we've got uh, kind of a Target sort of an ad on the inside cover. Uh, advertising Batman, Green Lanterns Quarterly, All Flash Quarterly, All Star Comics, and, of course, Mutton Jeff, because there's a household word for you today, Mutton Jeff. I don't know if anybody remembers that. I can remember Mutton Jeff's comic strip still going in the dailies when I was a kid. I don't know if it's still running, but uh, it's well in excess of a century old at this point in time. And the back cover, well, I guess if you're uh, looking for a job and if you're reading action comics, they'll train you for a good home and spare time for a good radio job. They'll teach you how to repair radios, which I would imagine was probably a very growth industry at this point in time. We're not even up to television yet. Okay, well, that's just a little bit of what was in Action Comics number one. I hope you found that interesting. And now we'll get back to our main feature, which is the second feature in the book in Action Comics 44 this month, The Vigilante, 13 pages again. So you have to say, DC and Whitney Ellsworth, they're really giving Greg Saunders a... A good old try out in here, so he's definitely the second feature at this point in time, which, considering this is only his third adventure, I hope it's working in so far as sales. So, without any further ado, the Galloping Gold. Vigilante in Galloping Gold. Can you solve the fascinating riddle of the seven white horses? What dark motive lurks in the black heart of a phantom foe who slays gallant white steeds and spares their riders? Why does the shade, wraith of the underworld, emerge from his citadel of crime to point the finger of doom at the animal kingdom? The vigilante, ace lawman of the range, slashes his way through a tangled web of mystery and unravels a sinister skein threaded with intrigue when the shade makes his last stand against the forces of justice in the story of Galloping Gold. At the Golden City Racetrack, thousands cheer as the Flintstones <laughs> speed down the turf. Come on, White Chief! The crowd is not disappointed as White Chief, the favorite, comes down the track a winner. Suddenly, a shot rings out. The horse falls dead. <laughs> this finishes the career of White Chief. Later, on New York's crowded Broadway... A mounted policeman of New York's finest is thrown from the horse that is attacked. And go to horse heaven, four legs. Oh, why did they do it, pal? Why? And at the Reynolds Polo Club, a third white horse falls victim to the cruel guns of the mystery killer. The horse killer makes his report to the Shade, a ghostly shadow who appears magically on the wall. Good work, Rafferty, but you're not finished yet. What's next, Shade? A few more white horses must be destroyed, Rafferty. You'll find the next one at Coney Island at the Big Top Show. Get him. The sinister spectral figure utters a whispered vow. No one can stop me this time. Not even my great enemy, the vigilante. Coney Island. 
Playground of Millions, and Greg Saunders' Radio Idol Vacations with Betty Stewart. Look, Greg, Billy Gunn's moved his shooting gallery out here at Coney Island. Let's pay him a visit. I hope Billy doesn't recognize me as the vigilante. Howdy, Mr. Saunders. Want to try for a prize? Go on, Greg. Let's see if you're as good as your public thinks you are. You great big he-man from the West. Not even one hit. The noise from the shots, it makes me nervous. I can't let her suspect that I'm an expert with a gun. It's no use, Billy. I'm a rotten shot. Well, keep practicing, youngster. Maybe someday you'll be as good as the vigilante. This is the way we squeeze trigger out west. Greg wouldn't know. Come on, dude. We'll be late for the Big Top Show. At the Big Top Show. Yowza, yowza, yowza. Big events. He daredevil Dan, the ace bareback rider, as he defies death, riding a white horse around the ring. A white horse? That man may be in danger. I'll have to do something. Excuse me, Betty, but I just remembered something. I have to go back to the studio. Publicity pictures and all that. Don't worry about me. I'll get along. There he goes. A complete phony cowboy. The only buffalo he ever seen is on a nickel. Behind a tent, Greg Saunders swiftly strips himself as his dude apparel and becomes the vigilante foe of the lawless. Three Arabian horses were killed yesterday, and Daredevil Dan's horse is Arabian too. The Vigilante seeks out Daredevil Dan. Why is the Vigilante? I've come to warn you, Dan. Don't ride your horse until we catch the mystery horse killer. But the show must go on. And you can't make me disappoint my public, Vigilante. Oh, no. So, but I happen to love horses. The Vigilante approaches the ringmaster. Daredevil Dan is, uh, indisposed, but I'll pinch hit for him. Great! What a prick for my show! And so, the one and only fearless vigilante will ride Daredevil Dan's horse! Two members of the audience smile a secret, crafty smile. That lucky break will knock off the horse and the vigilante. Careless rider of the range, the vigilante rides his steed round and round the arena in an amazing exhibition of super skill. I've got to keep my eye out for trouble. Suddenly, a blast of machine gun slugs hammer at the vigilante. With the agility born of the range, the lawman leaps out of the line of fire. I'm flying high. And catapults himself through the air from the trapeze. Superman has nothing on me. Happy landings, but not for you. How did he get here? We haven't been properly introduced. Here's my card. This ought to rope him in. This noose is good news for me. One good turn deserves another. Later. Perhaps you'll tell me why you're gunny for white horses. We're not talking, and soon you won't be either. The shade will get you yet. The shade? So I'm locking horns with him again. Well, this time it's a fight to the finish. I'll get him if I have to chase him all the way to Death Valley. Later at the studio. As Greg Saunders concludes his broadcast, 
and I'll be back with more of the rootin' tootin' shootin' songs of the West you and I both love. So, well, tomorrow at the same time, good night, partners. It's too bad you left the show. The vigilante appeared. It was thrilling. What's he got that I don't got? As if I didn't know. As the two pass another studio, they listen to Keyhole Carter, the man who sees all, hears all, knows all, and tells all. Flash. The mystery of the murdered white horses grows deeper and deeper. Investigation has revealed that the slain steeds are white Arabian horses. There are only seven of them in this country. Your reporter has just learned that one of these white horses is being used on the set of the movie Go West, Young Lady. Will the shade strike there? And will the vigilante stop him? Suddenly, the deafening staccato reports of a machine gun as an attempt is made upon Keyhole Carter's life. This will stop you from snooping. Quick as light, the would-be assassin darts from the studio. He's getting away. He almost got me. That will teach me to keep my flashes to myself. Yes, sir. What were you saying? The next day, and once again, the vigilante western warrior takes up the trail. First stop is the guns. I can use the old codger. Great horn toads! A vigilante! Say, pal, you're as welcome as an oasis in the desert. Come on, Pop. We're going to see it with six guns. On the movie set. We'll keep an eye on things. On this next scene, Miss Fairheart, you fire your gun into the air, and at the sound of the shot, Rex the horse will begin running, okay? Okay. Action. Camera. Roll em. Suddenly, as all eyes are focused upon Rex the model horse, the lens of the movie camera spouts a hail of bullets. Rex! They've shot Rex! The vigilante whips out his gun, ready for action, but... Get him! Get the vigilante! He shot Rex! Why, you lying coyote! But mob psychology rules. The flames of frenzy are fanned. And a group of normal people suddenly thirst for reprisal. String him up. He's the dirty horse killer. Yeah, he's masqueraded as the vigilante, but he can't fool us. Let's lynch the skunk. Hanging's too good for the rat who shot Rex. They're going to stretch my pal from a hickory. Good act fast. It's no use to try and palaver with that mob. They'd string me up, too. The camera is empty. Empty shells on the ground beside it. By golly, that's the answer. A machine gun rigged up inside the camera. What an ordinary trick. Well, now I can save the vigilante. The old timer presses the trigger, severing the rope that supports the vigilante. The vigilante springs to lightning action. The original hot foot. Dance, pal. Hell. The arrangement puts his lariat to excellent use. Teddy bear, teddy bear. Turn around. Teddy bear, teddy bear. Touch the ground. And that's how he killed Rex. He tried to put the blame on me. Oh, I should have guessed. He was acting suspicious all morning. Yeah, the Shade bribed me to set this trap for you. And it's no use trying to make me tell you who he is. I ain't talking. Later, after the criminal is handed over to the police. Sorry for the way we all lost our heads. Say, you wouldn't want to go to Hollywood and make a picture with us? You'd be great. Thanks, but I'd rather stay in these parts, fighting real villains instead of real ones. What a leading man he'd make. The riddle of the slain white horses grows deeper and deeper. 
Why is the shade killing all Arabian horses? Pop, what could his motive be? Don't ask me, partner. Just then a gangster crouches to examine the hooves of the slain Arabian horse. Hmm, and it's not in this boot either. The shade will burn up when I tell him. That man there, get him. Easy button. He'll be hogtied in a jiffy. This shift comes in handy now. The Shade's goon easily slices Billy's lasso and escapes. He got away. Reminds me of the time I roped a buffalo. Pop down, you old fraud. I think I've got the answer to this crazy mystery. Let's get back to Coney Island and fast. The vigilante and his sidekick ride to Coney Island in Billy's jalopy. Billy, there must be something hidden in the hooves of one of those white horses. That thug had just escaped was searching for it. I see. And we're going to Coney Island because Daredevil Dan's horse is still alive. That critter must be the one carrying the goods. At Coney Island, the vigilante examines the hooves of the circus horse he had slayed from the gang guns of gangland. We've struck oil this time, pal. Look, there's a circular notch on the hoof. And I'll bet the, the hooves inside has been hollowed out. A capsule inside the hoof. A clever hiding place indeed. The shade would give plenty for this. Suddenly, a cold, clammy voice intrudes. The voice of the shade. Yes, I'll give you plenty for that capsule. Plenty of slugs. Hand it over. I'll hand it over to you with my fist. The murder master races outside. Come and get me, vigilante. If you dare. Those tires, Pop. What a break. I get you, lad. It won't be wagon wheels rolling. But we'll round up that vomit. That team of western waddies go into strange action. A dog ringer. And in the twinkling of an eye, the shade is imprisoned by a wall of tires. This is like putting rattlers on a rattlesnake. And with the last tire, a wreath for you. My compliments. Suddenly from behind appears the minions of the Shade, out to rescue their leader. Get the vigilante. What are you going to do, son? There's too many of them for us. The Shade is going to travel in some new circles. Watch. The tire-imprisoned criminal rolls down the street, a juggernaut of doom for his own man. Stangway! Oof! Now to dress him with the tie that binds. Yippee! A few moments later, and there they stay until the police come. Let's see who the shade is. Here goes his mask, Pop. But I'll bet a gold nugget the shade is really someone we know. A tense moment as the vigilante reaches out to unmask the master arch criminal. Why, it's Keyhole Carter, the radio reporter. Yes, just as I suspected. He had one of his men attack him in the studio to divert attention and suspicion away from himself. But his men used blank bullets, as I discovered by noticing that the gunfire had caused no damage. So this is why you were after the capsule. For the map it contained. Yes, it showed where stolen bonds are buried. My confederate hiding out abroad wanted to smuggle the information to me. He hid the capsule in the hoof of one of a cargo of Arabian horses being sent to this country. I had to kill all the horses to find the capsule. Later, at the hideout of the shade, this is how the shade appeared to his men. By flashing a light through the lens of a searchlight, he cast his image on the wall. Just like a mirage, huh? 
And still later, the vigilante, having drawn the curtain on the Shade's career, he returns to his role of Greg Saunders. I'll have a western omelet. The phony. That's the only west he'll ever know. You folks should have seen me round up the Shade. Well, of course the vigilante helped some. It's like the time I fought the coyote kid. Whew. That one about wore me out. So, before we get into my notes here on the Gallopin' Gold story, let's have Greg Saunders Radio Rodeo. And today, uh, considering we're talking a lot about horses, let's have Ian Tyson and Horse Thief Moon. Tyson, Horse Thief Moon. If the name Ian Tyson sounds familiar to you, you may remember, if you're old enough to remember the folk era or have studied the folk era of the 1960s, he, along with Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, and several others, were a part, was a part of the duo of Ian and Sylvia. And you might remember Four Strong Winds or Someday Soon. Ian was a born cowboy. Um, but he kind of got into the folk circuit a little bit by accident. He intended to be a rodeo rider. He had a bad wreck, ended up uh, in a, incapacitated for a little while, and he learned to play the guitar while he did that. Uh, he also met Sylvia Fricker, who was also in on the folk uh, scene here in Canada. 
Yeah, they married and they formed quite a duo and they played, you know, worldwide, uh, mostly, you know, through the New York City folk houses and then all the whole folk circuit through the 1960s. Um, in the 1970s, when the folk sting started to die away, Ian and Sylvia returned to Canada. Not that they had ever really left as far as residents, but they returned to become part of the uh, a very budding and very small Canadian country music scene that was coming along because of uh, Canadian content rules. So that gave them an opportunity. They had television shows together. They unfortunately divorced in the mid-1970s. And Ian returned to his birthplace of Alberta and his first love, and that was uh, Horses and the Range. Uh, He bought his own little ranch after a little bit of a setback uh, in the foothills of the Canadian Rockies. And he started to study the history of cowboy music and classical, I guess, uh, classical country And he started to produce uh, concept albums that were more along the lines of Americana. And he started to go back into the United States again. He got into the cowboy poetry circuit at places like Elko, Nevada. And, uh, you know, the recording career just took right off. It was just the right fit for the right time. Now, as we sit here today, Ian is uh, well into his 80s. He's had some health issues. Uh, doesn't record that much anymore. When he does, uh, you have to realize his voice uh, seems to have gotten lost a little bit. He's sort of into the Tom Waits, Leonard Cohen kind of a mode at his uh, period in his voice, but he hasn't lost any of his enthusiasm. So I hope you enjoy Ian. Uh, I don't think there's a time in my life that I have Ian Tyson hasn't been a part of my uh, my musical collection or 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 tastes so i think he's a good fit with vigilante so i hope to use some of his uh very very original tunes uh in the future and a few other surprises that will go along the way so let us know how you're liking gray saunders rodeo radio would you rather have uh more upscale songs i don't know just just let me know Okay, so let's get into this story. Uh, Splash Page, very dynamic, and I have to tell you, it's not Splash Page, it's Splash Page Us. And this is something else that you rarely see in Golden Age comics, and that's a double-page splash. Now, this, of course, becomes de rigueur in the Bronze Age, and artists like Neil Adams and of course George Perez turned it into an art form but you really don't see it in the in the era of limited pages well I guess uh, Meskin decided that since he's got 13 pages to play with he might as well have a little bit of fun and the, the left side of the splash page actually opens on the left side of the book and continues to the right and normally most pages in in comic books start on the right but he's got an odd number of pages so i guess that forces this and um beyond that we're under a big top tent and it's very detailed the way uh meskin has done the ropes and the knots and everything else at first i thought this was a sailing ship vig was on and then i looked down and i realized it's a big top circus tent and one of the Arabian horses we're going to be talking about is uh, sort of in the forefront. Lots of gangsters on the ground as Vigilante kicks the you-know-what out of them. And we've got a very dynamic logo for Vigilante. This is the first, uh, I would say, actual manufactured logo we have. The logos in the past two issues haven't really done much for me. They're just kind of block leathers put in a jumble. This one is sort of in that western sort of a font that you think of with lots of uh, serifs going off and tails going off to the sides and a large big V. And the splash page also serves to get the story going as well. Normally on the splash we've started with a single panel, uh, but Mort on the very right hand page has started off with three splashes. A rectangle, a square, and down to a circle. Just illustrating more about the way Mort really wanted to play with the panel shapes. 
as opposed to you know other artists of the day that just started with your nine square grid and we start off at a horse race here white chief and he's riding um what we will come to know as a white arabian horse and that'll come to be a thing here uh, and, a, and a concurring th recurring theme through the story and oh dear Oh dear, we know these are bad guys because they shot one horse and on the second page, or the third page, pardon me, they've shot another horse and in the third panel of the second page, another horse goes down. Wow, horses are going to be hurt in the filming of this comic book and actually killed. And what sort of a dastardly deed, uh, dastardly sort of a person could do this? Well, of course, it's the Shade. And we know him from last issue, and he shows back up again, and he's much more dynamic now. He's still got that pukey green, but uh, he's uh, he's got more to his back on his game here. He's got a lot more lines in the character, and he's much more spectral and much more menacing. And of course, there's a reason for that. And at the bottom of page three, we've got uh, Greg Saunders and Betty Stewart, the Lois, our Lois Lane, our blues singer, although they don't talk about it this time. Usually they have to tell us she's a blues singer, but we haven't seen her sing anything yet. So they just leave that alone. And, and they're at Coney Island. So that definitely establishes our New York City set. There's no, no faking it now. They name Coney Island, and they don't call it Pony Island or Boney Island or something else. And uh, she's daring him to do some shooting, and that shooting is going to take at Billy Gunn's shooting gallery. And in continuity with the last story, she's definitely... That Billy's gallery has been moved from Times Square to the island. And that's probably a better place for it. I can't imagine today that you'd make much uh, money on in a shooting gallery on Times Square. Uh, there are probably some places around there that are already shooting galleries of a different sort. But in Coney Island, it's all for fun. And Greg uh, pretends to miss everything. Uh, he's doing his Clark Kent bit here. And he's in, he's in his dude outfit with his exaggerated hat, shirt, and chaps. And, of course, Betty isn't really impressed by him. And then we go to the Big Top. And we're going to meet Daredevil Dan and in the Big Top show. And we learn that Daredevil Dan is going to be riding a white horse in the Big Top show. And that uh, piques Greg's curiosity. So he does his uh, Clark Kent move to get away from Betty. So he can strip down and come back as the vigilante. And I think uh, Greg must be doing something to his hat here. Because both Greg and vigilante in the Wolf Personas now has a black hat. Normally we think of Vig as a white hat. But we're definitely got a... Sorry, did I say black? Brown. It's a sort of a deep chestnut brown. And Vigilante goes up to Daredevil Dan, tries to tell him that uh, his life may be in danger if he rides this horse in the show. Daredevil Dan's having nothing, none of it, so Vig just gives him a good cold cock and sends him to dreamland. That's not really necessarily that I think that Daredevil Dan is a bad guy. It's just Vig uh, wants to try to draw out the killers that he knows are going to strike at this show. So he tells the ringmaster what his plan is, and of course that's big news for him because the Vidge is big news himself. Of course, he's a superhero. He's New York City's uh, downtown cowboy. So the uh, he gets on, and Vigilante can do some moves here on this horse. He's doing sort of a Roman riding. Uh, he's doing sort of a push-up off the back of a horse. That uh, requires an awful lot of body strength and a great deal of balance and a lot of faith in your horse as well. And of course, sure enough, out come the gangsters, and there's two of them. For the most part, it's uh, these horse killings have taken place with a single shot, but these guys got a Thompson. Uh, good old uh, gangster rat-tat-tat-tat -tat 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 sort of machine guns. 
And the action's done really well. Mort's really doing his job. So Vidge realizes, you know, as he draws them out, that uh, he, he'd likely to be, wants to be the target rather than the horse. So he grabs a trapeze and he's going to do a flying Grayson's off of that horse. And he, that draws the fire away from them. Um, we hope Vidge doesn't end up becoming Boston brand dead man in here. And uh, I like what he says in the middle of this. Superman has nothing on me, unquote. Now there's a shot. Yeah. <laughs> Geely Vidge, do you see Superman doing any six-gun fighting? I don't think you should be doing his flying job for him. But he does good on the landing because he comes right down onto the gunman. Gives him a couple of socks. He's got some good one-liners on here. We haven't been properly introduced. Here's my card as he socks the guy in. And then does the old rope tricks as the horse is uh, having a good laugh at this. And Meskin draws a pretty good horse here, I have to say. Horses are very difficult for a lot of artists. So interrogation, he finds out that he's locking horns with the shade again. And now we're back to the broadcast studio where Greg is doing his... Uh, I guess he must have a daily broadcast, and I know a lot of uh, recording artists of the day did that, and Betty is here as well, so I assume that she is singing on this show. I'm not sure if we're ever going to see Betty Stewart sing. And in the middle of the radio station, they also meet, get to meet Keyhole Carter. He's your action news reporter who knows all, sees all, tells all, and hears all. Keyhole Carter right now, let's just say this is a Chekhov's gun moment, folks watch him but just as they're talking and uh, keyhole carter is informing everyone about uh, the assassination of these white horses and that there is another arabian horse that is on the set of a movie that is filming in apparently in new york city didn't know they filmed movies in new york city at that point in time but I guess Hollywood does not have the monopoly because the story needs it set here. And a gunman comes in, throws a little whackety-whack-whack at Keyhole Carter. Everybody ducks and the gunman disappears. Craig Saunders is eyeing up the damage to the office. And he seems to have a very skeptical look on his face. Back into the vigilante getup and back to Billy Gunn's shooting gallery. And he gets Billy off the takes Billy over to the movie set and we've got a very stereotypical auto premature looking sort of a director complete with the beret and the glasses and uh, a brunette starlet of course just as she just as we're into the middle of the shot another machine gun comes out and throws a throws the horse into a tizzy doesn't kill it though and when vigilante goes towards to investigate one of the other movie stars, or one of the hands, this big Paul Bunyan-looking character that isn't named, takes after him and accuses Vidge of shooting the horse, since he's got his six-gun drawn. Apparently, we can't tell the difference between a machine gun and a six-gun and the noise it makes. But the movie mob, or the movie actors and the extras, they mob Vigilante for, for coming after the horse. And they knock him unconscious again, because we have to have at least one concussion per story. Now, Billy Gunn, right at this point in time, he's not really getting into the fracas. But he f goes over and inspects the movie camera. I guess something has given him uh, something to make him suspicious. And finds out that the camera has a machine gun coming out where the lens should be. And right about the time when they're going to string Vigilante up, Vigilante style, Billy Gunn uh, aims the movie camera and breaks the rope. That's pretty good shooting with a, with a machine gun there, Billy. But we're in comics. So Vigilante goes back to the stagehand that accused him. And he and Billy uh, do the old uh, gunfighter dance thing on him. Making him dance with the six guns on the feet. And then they do a strange thing. They start to uh, they take a lariat and they make him jump rope as they're making him dance. 
and they're they're doing a nursery rhymes and that I've never heard before. Teddy bear, teddy bear, turn around. Teddy bear, teddy bear, touch the ground. Okay, I guess I've never done a lot of rope skipping. And they finally tire him out, but not enough to to make him talk. Uh, he's he's scared of the shade, and he's not going to say much. Meanwhile, uh, our Otto Preminger character comes up to Vigilante, offers him a job, which Vigilante declines. And the movie actress that wanted to help uh, string Vigilante up here a couple of minutes ago is all of a sudden is in love with him. So while Rex is laying on the ground, Billy and Greg are having a little bit of exposition and they finally notice that a gangster has come up and is examining the, the boot around the hoof of Rex the movie horse. They uh, throw a loop around him, but he's quick with a knife. He cuts the loop and runs away. So, Billy and Vidge, are, they jump into his, their, what appears to be a Model T and head down the street. Good for Vidge. He's not running around New York in the cowboy boots anymore. They go back to the circus site at, on Coney Island, and he, Vidge examines the hoof of the horse that he had ridden in the circus. This is the, so far the only surviving horse. All the rest have been killed. And of course he finds inside the hoof, hollowed out, a capsule. And who should come along but the shade with an automatic pistol. And But Vidge gets the drop on him and finally manages to touch the shade's jaw. Here at first time in two issues. These two opponents have finally met face to face, or say, fist to face. And while uh, he's trying to get away, there just seems to be a handy pair of tires. This was a hard thing to illustrate through the audio drama. But Vidge and Billy get the idea they're just going to throw a pile of tires around him until they get to the top. And boy, I have to say, the Shade has some very, very loyal gangsters. They're either very scared or he pays rather well because they come at them. About, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, about six of them are coming after Vidge and Billy. And, but uh, Vidge has a weapon, the Shade himself, this guy wrapped up in tires. So all he has to do is, is make a bowling uh, ball out of the, the Shade and the gangsters will be the pins. He ties them up, waits for the police. And now, who is this Shade character? Well, they unmask him, and it's no other than the no-wall, sees-all, tells-all, spills-all, keyhole Carter, the radio reporter. And, of course, the attack in the office is what tumbled Greg to this. Uh, he realized that the uh, automatic fire had caused no damage. There was no splinters into the, any of the desks or walls. And so he had set up the attack himself in order to gain some sympathy and make sure that uh, to get the suspicion away from himself as he dropped clues uh, to where these uh, Arabian horses were going to be. And uh, yes, Keyhole Carter, he's, he spills it right off. He... he this, he's Mr. Exposition Dump at this point in time. He took this off of a cargo of imported horses. And apparently somewhere, wherever he got these animals from, someone had hollowed out a hoof and put in a piece of microfilm. And that was the key to the location of a map of some stolen bonds. I don't know if they're war bonds, bearer bonds, what they are, they just say bonds. So for this elaborate plan, you know, we've lost a lot of animals and um, there's a few people have been killed on this. So I think this is the last we're going to see of the shade. If he does show up, he's gonna have to break jail. And we end up back with our one tie-in panel. We're at a little cafe. Greg is gonna have himself a Western omelet Betty's having nothing of it. And while well, Billy goes off on one of his stories. And Billy is known to be of a bit of a bullshitter. At one point in the story, and I forgot to stop on that, 
Vigilante kind of loses his temper with him and just turns around and says, Shut up, you old fraud. Which I thought was a little bit harsh, but who knows? Maybe it gets a little tiring listening to a guy that you know is full of it try to pull out a lot of stories. So all in all, pretty good story. I've got no more information on the next story at this point in time in Action Comics 45, so we'll just see what we have. Okay, we're back. Going back to check my chronological schedule of where we should be in this index show. We are headed into a very special episode, and I'm still wondering how I'm going to do it. I think it might be a little bit different, but this is going to be Vigilante's first appearance in Leading Comics number one. And for the sharp-eyed and knowledgeable among you, that should tell you that this is the very first adventure and appearance of the team of the Seven Soldiers of Victory from December 1941. Busy month for America and busy month for Vigilante. So we'll look forward to that. And with that, I'm just going to leave you be. So happy trails, partners. We'll see you if when I within leading comics number one on the next episode of Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. In the corner of a dark bar room Said a little cowboy singing western tunes Singing songs that he learned as a child All about the west back when it was wild So long partners, you've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast all materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. Stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the Vigilante, and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. Email can go to vigilantecast at gmail.com. Website is www.rangergordsroundup, all one word, at .wordpress.com. And we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the Cowboy Crusader. Vaya con Dios, compadres, eh? Because he's the last of the same.